and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond, and with me today is our special guest, Iskar Jarak. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm doing good. He has returned once again if uh, he was on our Memories of Ice spoiler cast, and he is uh, the man about town for Malazan <laughs> on the YouTube.com. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you so much. This is always like the, the sign that you didn't screw it up too bad the last time. This is even a bigger honor, I think, than, than being invited the first time. You get the double dip. That's um, right. In the offseason, we talked about Karsa Orlong, and I talked about how I don't really like his character that much. And we can get to him a little more later, but we also talked to Steve and Steve came in very hot in the interview. He came in (laughs) with a point to make and um, a lot of it had to do with colonialism and how he was trying to process some ideas about colonialism when he was approaching the Bidathal storyline. And that interview will be out later. I don't need to recount his whole, his whole argument. But um, it was interesting to hear. But near the end of the interview, since uh, we, we, me and Steve kind of, we, we, we had a little, we had a little, uh, we had a little exchange. Yeah. A little fun time, me and Steve. And, um, you know, we had turned off the mics and then we were just catching up about other stuff and, and how everyone was doing before we left. And um, I told Steve that ultimately I think I'm a bit more of a moral scold than he is. You know, <laughs> and, you know, and although sometimes I think I disagree with some some of the things he writes in his book, yeah. you know, I, I, I just think that's a separate thing, because to me, these books are certainly not in the moral scolding business, you know? Oh, yeah. Like I, there's obviously things the books are portraying as bad and don't, you know, right, are, are, right. are very ungenerous to. Yeah. But I would never even say they're scolding those things, you know? Sure. It's a very removed angle to approach some of these things. And I think, yeah. And I think for me, sometimes I told Steve being so removed about some such severe things leaves me feeling very conflicted, which I think is a perfectly fine feeling to feel when reading a book, you know, so I'm not even that worked up that he's making me feel conflicted or anything. But I just think it's uh, I don't know. I guess that's all to say. I really wish the rebellion would have won. That's I guess that's what I wanted to say. Ouch, yeah. I don't know. So I guess welcome to the show. That was how I was gonna frame it. It made more sense at the start of my sentence. I love it. Oh. So uh what what do you make of House of Chains? Let's let's start there. Yeah, House of Chains, honestly, I was going back through because you guys are actually ahead of me by about a book now because I'm still going through Memories of Ice on my videos. And so mm. um, I had to go back and do do homework and I had like two major reactions because I'm kind of in your camp. I'm not a huge Carsa Orlong fan. It's weird because I don't like the Carsa Orlong character necessarily as a person. Like there's people out there who are like, ride or die Carsa Orlong, you know, and there's actually ride or die Calor people, you know what I mean? And like, I don't like him like that where I'm just like, dude, I'm such a go Carsa type character, but I do like his arc because I think that there's a whole social commentary going on with Carsa's arc and, and kind of, you know, I feel like I grew up with people like Carsa or I know people like Carsa who are, you know, and and I watched another uh, podcast that talked about certainty, you know, and I thought that was a perfect theme to talk about because he kind of comes out of of his village and tribe 
with so much certainty and he has his like grandpa. And I think that whole dynamic between his dad and his grandpa and him and the living up to the legacy kind of element and, and having that also be kind of a house of cards stuff too. But, you know, and you see that kind of over time get chipped away at basically where that, that, you know, young 18 year old or however old he is at the beginning, Carsa has just such a dead set, hundred percent knows exactly who he is and what he's doing view of the world. And he goes out and does all this stuff. And, and that just, you know, erodes pretty, pretty dramatically over time. And especially throughout the remainder of the books, he never becomes like this great guy. And he's this awesome, amazing person that everybody wants to go out and give a high five to, but he does undergo a pretty tremendous change. And so I never find myself going, yeah, this guy's awesome. And I want to go hug this guy kind of thing. But I do, I do think he has a pretty incredible arc as a character. So let's just get into the cars of it all because it's so funny. We're releasing this episode the same day we're releasing a great episode. Uh, I actually think it's one of our worst episodes, but that's a whole side point. But um, it, we, re- we we read Steve's problem of Carsa Orlong essay and we like tried to talk about it, you know. Uh-huh. And in it, in, in it, I I, I kind of talked about why I, I I don't really like the character that much. And part of it is I just like can never really get on board with having fun with him because yeah. I think some of the pleasure is like. And then he kills the Daragoth. He's like a cool, you know, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. we're totally. supposed to revel in how badass he is. It's right. something we're asked to do a lot in yes. the books, you know, which Carse is a badass. I mean, there's that. Yeah, no, he he definitely. And I even can see that I do. You know, I'm, you know, sometimes he says really cool things. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie. You know, <laughs> you know, but. My, what I was going to say is I really agree with you. I actually was really into Karsa during, and the part of the reason I'm so keen to talk now is because we were only talking about Karsa in the realm of the fourth book, which I think obviously is his book in some right. ways. Yeah. Um, but also, I like Karsa much more once Sam Ardev is introduced because I think she is such an important foil and... Pretty much everything she says, I'm way more on board with. And every time she's trying to cut Carson down to size, in my mind, she's almost always right. You yeah, know, 100%. Um, but anyway, that's and so it was kind of aggravating to continue to have that conversation. Not aggravating, but I wish I could talk about Sam Ardev or some of the stuff in Told the Hounds when we're talking about Carson and my feelings on him since I don't know. It's like I'm only talking about a piece of the pie, you know? Yeah, you have to be mad, cagey, and holding back. And I could even see that just in your regular House of Chains uh, podcast episodes because, you know, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Or when they, like, uh, <laughs> mention Traveler, right? And you can't yeah. say anything like that. But I think, you know, Sam Ardev, too, and that the, that's the huge part of Cart. That's, like, one of the best relationships, honestly. I love that because they leave it till the very end. You know, I mean, by the time they actually get down to business they have you know they didn't do that at the very beginning they know each other they've traveled together she knows his uh good qualities his bad qualities their terrible qualities they kind of have have a much deeper bond before they ever go to me that feels like such a really real and awesome and good like that's how a real relationship actually is you know what i mean like that felt yeah real. i agree sam Ar- sam Ardev like sees through his persona and bluster you 100%. know 100 and she's not fooled by it and it's awesome you know and she and she takes him down like that's what you 
meet. And especially a character like that with an ego like that, you know, it's like they need that kind of that grounding uh, force. And she's like, yeah, I'm not impressed. She's like, you're full. Of, yeah, you're totally the bluster. And I think that's why I've really enjoy, I, I actually enjoy Carsa in those parts of the book. But I've ne- I never really buy and I, I still haven't his character change within House of Chains, which is such like an important part of this book. So I think that's what always like gummed me up on fully getting into the Carsa train. But I want to return to exactly what you're saying about the opening passage, uh, which which I think I'm so into those beginning parts where it is about certainty. And um, I mean, he's just so unlikable in those parts. Oh, and yeah. I, it's like clearly that's the point in a very sharp way. And something I uh, I know is in my mind, Steve attempts to address it later on, but I, it doesn't really connect with me, is that clearly in the beginning, he's like a horrific misogynist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he like talks about women interchangeably, rapes women all the time, and ha- clearly has no regard or thinks of them as humans. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, as people. 100%. And when you talk about him trying to assert himself as a man and, and like prove himself through battle, all these things... I think there's a lot that could be being explored there about masculinity, you know, and how young men cling to violence and sexual violence and objectifying women to make themselves feel powerful, you know, very prescient stuff, you know. However, I don't feel like I have a good idea of what the system and gender standards are in the Teblor area and and kind of the world in a bigger sense. I try to talk to Steve about this, but I, I, I don't know. I. I don't know if I articulated myself well, but I don't know, like, is there a patriarchal system in the Teblor clans? If not, where does Karsa get these ideas from? What do these ideas mean to Karsa? You know, so I think when I really start to scrutinize, what does this mean? I feel like I'm bringing our ideas of masculinity here on Earth into the story and I don't really know what masculinity means to Karsa in the world. So I don't know. I feel this disconnect then between our world and what the book is world is you know so i think that just comes from how sex and power are built in the setting but yeah i don't know that that opening passage is what i liked most when rereading this book totally and i think that's why i love the stuff with his dad and his grandpa too because i think that is like kind of those only context clues that you kind of get for you know, for me, I think the, you know, you have the kind of like 1970s, like flower child rebelling against like the 1950s, like baby boomer uh, type yeah. parent dynamic going on with the the grandpa and the dad and, and kind of, you know, the dad ends up being, I think by the end, you know, kind of <laughs> the one who's like, right. But I, I, I think, you know, he, he just, deri- you know, he, he's kind of trying to live up to some mythological, you know, I think it's a very topical, but like, there's a lot of social commentary in this book for today's time. I don't know exactly what the, I, I, I fully agree. I think, and that's what I like so much about that beginning section is I think it's a really great picture of how young men can delude themselves into violence in the pursuit of glory and meaning in their lives, you know, and it encompasses a lot of those things. So that part in a vacuum, I really like. And I don't know, just maybe that change. I just I can't get into. So then I kind of disconnect because I don't feel like we ever I've never bought that he moves away from this incredibly adolescent like, no, fuck you, dad. I'm going to go kill people. Like, I don't know. Like, 
I don't know. He's so contemptible in the beginning. And he, and he never fully relinquishes it, honestly. Like, let's be real. Towards the end, like, he still has a, a tear it all down kind of, you know, that's still the ultimate goal. And so there's still, like, a, a lot of ego there and stuff, even through all the transformation and whatever. Um, yeah. And Samar Dev even brings that up with him. He, I forget the exact line, but she talks about how adolescent his solution to the problems of society are, you know, just like, well, we should have no people. Yeah, I don't know. You yeah, know what I mean? Totally. And, and, you know, it's like in some ways it's kind of an interesting parallel to um, Shadow Throne in some ways. Right. Because they, you know, if you really think about it, like the whole arc, like they have a similar goal of just like accumulating or destroying the the sources of power to kind of let the world go you know get on with themselves or whatever and but they're just going about it in completely different ways and one is like again a tear it all down kind of like you said childish uh, scenario so he has a crazy arc and like the development from where he is that first day when he goes and prays in the field or whatever with the the seven to where he is at the very end of the book where he's, you know, goes in and destroys Bidithal and saves the day and whatever is, is a lot, but he's still not this like, you know, it's not the full, full, uh, full development. No, I don't. I still think he has some work to do. <laughs> right. There you go. Um, so, uh, what else is something that stood out to you when you re uh, when you reread it or when you were looking back on House of Chains? There is so much that happens. It's definitely the Carsa book. So like and I think it's right that he was the first quote unquote book, uh, you know, group of chapters or whatever. That was Carsa's um, story. I think it's interesting how, you know, you're reading through the first like couple hundred pages as a total first timer. You know, and he's talking about the children and stuff and like you are not realizing that the children are like the regular people. Um, so that yeah. part was really cool. Um, but but I think beyond just the whole Carsa arc is like for me, you kind of associate book six with the Bone Hunters. But there was a lot of Bone Hunter stuff uh, a lot it, of bone in this one, stuff. you know, and this is kind of like for me, I love the Bone Hunters because I feel like, you know, in, in Gardens of the Moon, you get dropped in with the bridge burners. And those are, you know, if you look at the merch and stuff like people have bridge burner stickers and people have like uh, first in last out tattoos and stuff, you know sure. what I mean? So they're legendary and you get dropped in and they're, you know, mythologized. But we're like kind of watching the formation of our bridge. You know, this is kind of like our bridge burners. Like if this is a meta book and we're supposed to be the ones, you know, opening up these bloodstained pages and whatever, then like these are our bridge burners that we're like kind of watching the forging of. Whereas, you know, we're dropping in way late to the game with the bridge burners. And that part was badass because you kind of, you know, I don't know, thinking back on the whole 10 book arc, you think like book six is the Brit uh, is the bone hunter book, but really like a, a, a deliciously nice bone hunter chunk happens here and actually this is where the bone hunters come from is actually book four you're dead on and steve actually said something similar about how he really wanted to take a take a army from beginning to end and he knew it kind of had to start in book four Mm -hmm. you know and um furthermore i think the bone hunters thing also quick side note um bottle literally i i my, my mind completely forgot literally thought he was a character that started in the bone hunters did not know he was in this book and then i came back and i was like oh my god bottles in this book and then yeah. all the aerosol stuff was in this book too i was like oh, i didn't know this was foreshadowed i literally thought this was something that only came up in book six so 
I was so surprised. And I was like, huh, just another thing I had forgot. Look at you, Steve, you know? Yeah, um, it's because of the name, right? They call it the Bone Hunters, and you think that's where all the Bone Hunters nuggets happen, but it, it starts yeah. a lot earlier. But see, that's what I was going to say, is that like um, the Bone Hunters thing is just one piece of it, and, and I think actually when you look at it, definitely stood out to me. I, I don't, I don't particularly care for this book, but so much of what's going to happen in the rest of the series is really set up in this book. And I mean, outside of some of the leather stuff and like, um, you know, truly some of the end game yeah. 910 stuff, yeah, maybe isn't exactly set up here, but all of maybe like the protagonists are kind of really put into place. And then like kind of we get a bigger picture of a lot of the cosmology stuff. Yeah. So it does really feel like it's sowing a lot of seeds that are going to be reaped, you know, three, four, five, six books later. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Even like in the Bone Hunters, you know, I mean, they're like forging themselves now and then they go through Yucatan like two books later, even like the troll and Onrak stuff. Right. Like the troll. Yeah defending uh the shadow throne stuff there is so much stuff that you know it kind of feels like this is carsa's book but that really there's three other books uh in in house of chains that are so full of stuff that matters i think the you know hounds of shadow stuff at the callbacks you know what i mean back to yeah. like the gardens of the moon stuff where um ganos goes into dragnipor and how he becomes the master of the deck in memories of ice even though it's like a totally different book there's yeah there's a lot of callbacks and and foreshadowing forward it's it's not my favorite either i was saying that i like it's interesting if you look at the Goodreads ratings for all the various Malazan books like House of Chains is actually pretty high. And I think there's like uh, that's where the bias starts to kick in of the people who made it through the first three books. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I think at a certain point, I think people make a decision whether they're going to go the distance or not, you know, and you know, I think that's, I don't know, it takes people a few books to figure that out, I think. Because I, I always felt like, you know, I read book seven and kind of bounced off it in some ways. I'm really actually really keen to revisit that book, but I had come that far. Do you mean like I was going to read the other three books, mm-hmm. you know, it get, like I guess book seven could have been like really, I don't know, it would have had to get really, really bad for me to stop. You right. know, I was pretty bought in. Right. So although Dust of Dreams gets bagged on pretty, pretty hard, too. But this one also foreshadows stuff that's like not even happen yet so like when you know he rapes those first couple of you know the war chief's wife or whatever you know that's gonna be you know they show up i guess at the end of told the hounds or whatever but that's gonna be if you've read the prologue because i think he posted that for the Mm, the god is not willing i think that's them and then you know there's just all those people who are left in the wake so and I'm actually really interested in learning because I think their presence in Toll that because like I think there'd be an argument to be made. And I think that this argument could be made about the Karsa killing Bidafall thing that mm. these are supposed to be answers or showing how Karsa is coming to terms with his past of sexual violence and misogyny, yeah. you know. But as I said, I don't really feel like I have a good context for what that sexual violence and misogyny really means to him or to the world. And I don't know the the like. They feel like gestures towards reconciliation and not actually doing the hard work of change. I mean, it, like, it's not like he was kind of a bad guy. Like, oh, he was like, you know, it was very extreme. And sh- and that, like, you know, and, and that's why I don't know. 
I'm actually would be very keen on he, on and I'm I would hope this is a part of the forthcoming Carsa stuff. Yeah, is that those his children would be something to be further explored, and I would guess it would be. I feel like yeah, I don't know. That's my suspicion, at least. Yeah, definitely. I don't feel like there was any resolution to that piece at all. I feel like that was more of like a, a holy shit moment, like where the you know that was the very very beginning of the the process kind of for him to come to, you know, cause I feel like that was never a part of his character arc was like, Oh my God. And I also like did this really terrible stuff to women. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't yeah. a, a part of it. You know, it was more just like he saw more of the machinations of the world. And obviously it wasn't as kind of like black and white as what he originally thought <laughs> thought it was but yeah i i love the idea of not having him in the first books too because for me that's like the bigger thing it's like let's look at that freaking trail of carnage that he left and what that did and like they're gonna you know try and make him not instead of one of the seven he's gonna be one of the eight now and you have like uh you know and he's gonna have nice raise his army and come and be ready to rock and roll but like what the hell did he do and and how did that impact all these i love that angle and I think something that has been brought up is that the timeline for those kids doesn't make sense. I know there's a lot of questions about the timeline in Toll the Hounds, including yeah. with Harlow. <laughs> yeah, Harlow. Some of the timeline inconsistencies are stuff that, honestly, I haven't scrutinized that much because it just isn't that important to me, me as a either. reader. I know it is for some people. It isn't for me. So, I, like, if that's Chase or Bless, you know, if that's something, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Midnight Tides for me, too. Like, and same, like for me, I take Yeah, it some people of, say that, right? Right. Like, I don't know exactly when all the shenanigans and they go hunting down, um, you know, glaciers and stuff like that was years wise. I don't line up all the years of Burns sleep and there is no year of Burns sleep, I guess, in Lether, but... For me, you know, it's it's I guess to I take it as as a given and Harlow's like seven or eight or nine or however old. So there is a chunk of that, time that's gone by from the end of Memories of Ice. And we don't know how long it took him to leave his camp to, you know, there's a lot of flashing yeah. forward and stuff. So I'm not that's not the part that bothers me at all. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm looking at it like, you know, at a distance. And I don't if I, I don't really need to squint to figure it out. I, I feel good out here, you know? Yeah. But you. we were talking about how it, it's a lot of setup for a lot of things, and I think part of what actually leaves me out in the, leaves me out of the cold in this book is that I think a lot of the setup involves a lot of separate storylines that aren't actually always that prescient to what's going on at hand. Mm. I mean, Troll and Onrak, I yeah. think, are related to the book thematically, but you know, have very little to do with what's actually going on in this book, you know, outside of, you know, they share a lot of the same burdens that some other characters do in an emotional way. Right. So, I don't know. And, and between that and some of the traveler stuff, which, you know, can feel like a sidetrack if you're actually, we're talking about a plot, like trying to move forward very quickly, right. which I, I, I wouldn't say that's always what these books are about. So it's not, uh, I don't know, the worst thing, but I just, we're, we're spread out pretty far sometimes. And I think there, I, I kind of get, get off the same page of the book. Yeah. I mean, there's still like a lot of seeds to plant, you know, like I could see the, when you're introducing troll, like this is really the setup for uh, midnight tides. Right. And to be able to, in, in kind of, in some ways the, this is the kind of logical next step or prequel to, 
Deadhouse Gates and you see Toblakai there when Shay gets assassinated or whatever. And then this goes yeah. back and tells the original story. Then you get like that, you know, that's kind of troll. Troll becomes the bodyguard number two or whatever of House of Chains that then later gets uh, explored down down the road. But like if you think of House of Chains, you're not thinking of the troll and own rack book really that's not no. what springs to uh front of mind but w- it, once you introduce troll and own rack then i could see then you gotta kind of do the traveler um cutter all that defending the throne kind of piece because then that definitely becomes um the big thing down the road yeah and that's setting that's planting a lot of seeds too and i think I think that's how I would put it is that sometimes I like I think this book spends more time planting seeds than like telling a single story that resonates with me, you know, and I don't know. I think that's where it loses me. I think it, it, it tries to tell a single story. I just never really get that on board with it, you know. Yeah, and there's a couple of threads, you know, it's weird because like a lot of threads spiral out from House of Chains, but there is like an attempt to kind of bring some together too. And there's that weird kind of, um, you know, it feels like a conflict. No, it's true. And and Steve made this point, which is obviously true that and some people will call either this book or the end of book five kind of the end of the setup books, Mm. you know, I don't know. This is definitely the end of a first cycle, if you will. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I also could see drawing it at the end of five after you've introduced Leather, you know? That's kind of how know. I feel. I feel like, you know, uh, one is one. And and that was like he said before he even knew he was going to have other books or be able to go to, to 10 books. But then you have like Dead House Gates and then you have like House of Chains, which goes back and explores some of the beginnings of that and then sets the stage for... Um, the future and then you have like the memories of ice stuff and uh, midnight tides is where you go back and explore the beginnings of some of the seeds laid in house of change and then it kind of starts to somewhat thread together until you get to dust of dreams yeah i feel like in bone hunters is when you really start to get what the plot is and then i feel like at the end of bone hunters you're like okay i get it i get what we're doing we're all going to leather everyone's together let's go to the same place yes and i don't know part of me then feels like that's why i was a little aggravated with the seventh book because i actually was so stoked to have the conflict between all these people and then the seventh book's like, I don't know, I almost expected the first page to start with all of it, but there was like a lot of buildup and a lot of other stuff, you know, but yeah. that's for the future anyway. Yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I don't, I, I know your whole uh, Malazan content system's a little different, you know, because you're on less of kind of a schedule, you know, yeah. we're like going through the books in sequence. And going into this book, I was like... I don't really know what to do because I kind of knew I wasn't that into this book, you know, and here we are going to talk about it for a while. And, you know, I don't know. I don't have that much to say besides that, you know, I like it less than some of the other books, you know, but it it makes me very keen to move on to book five, a book I like quite a lot. And I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of interesting to have to go through in sequence, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I like going through it. For me, this is one of my lower rated. I, I hate to rate the books. I even read the books on the Kindle. I read them all 10 as one kind of. Yeah, I, I think the, you said because they have one of those big super PDFs. Anthology, things, right? yeah, things. Yeah. And it's uh, which I paid for, Steve. I did. Uh, but, you know, I. Uh, 
I read them all as as one big big giant book, but this one is one of my my lower rated. But I do like the and I love going through Deadhouse Gates again because I think you know for me Fellison is a challenging character in in Deadhouse Gates for me personally to like overwrite my initial kind of reaction, which is like you know because we're privy to so much as a reader information that she doesn't have and and whatever and so like for me house of chains was cool to revisit that because now she's in a totally different you know she's not dead house gates fellas and she's shake and so there's a lot of dynamics there and then there's also like a lot of the tough stuff like the sexual violence stuff with bitiful you know bitithal and and fellison jr and and that makes this book i think really controversial like bitithal is one of the most hated characters if you ask my discord you know like even above like people who've gone borderline genocide status just because his uh, you know as an individual is a absolutely despicable terrible person yeah um and there, I think there's a lot of, not to cut you off, but I think there's a big social commentary potentially there as well. Like, what is the more um, sinister thing to to kind of be on the lookout or be on guard for is like the really terrible, like, Bidithal, Jeffrey Epstein-esque type, just disgusting, despicable, nothing good about him, or like the more you know, strategic, like ends justify the means type, like, you know, Malik Rells, who will sacrifice 40, 50, 70,000 people, um, you know, because he's got a, an ax to grind and, and, but the, you know, got a, a better pl- ultimate plan. I, I think you're, I think you're dead on. And um, in that, I think part of an effect is that since we witnessed Bidithal's abuse firsthand, mm. you know, that's very, powerful has it leaves a powerful effect on the reader yeah you know and i think the same thing happens in book nine is that since that's such a powerful sequence we experience so viscerally Mm. you know um i don't know i think i end up feeling so harshly against those abusers because of how that's witnessed firsthand and that's to contrast against like you know calor obviously an incredibly bad person you know and um you know i i I don't know how to do moral ethics math to determine who's worse i don't know if that's a game you even get into they're both bad but my point is i guess calor at least i would say we're almost removed from a lot of the bad stuff he does and we kind of actually spend most of time with him in a kind of like in this kind of more elderly dejected weird phase of his life right. as opposed to when we are led to believe he was like the worst dictator and slaves and all you know just all this horrific stuff totally. so yeah i think it's it's interesting how how you experience these characters atrocities can affect what where you come to as a reader absolutely you know i'm like the the we weren't there and we don't witness it firsthand the way that you do and you know you're kind of you experience Fellas and the Younger through Shake's eyes from the very first as like, hey, this is the chance to like not have all the shenanigans that happen to me play out. And she can, yeah. you know, I'm going to take in this orphan. She doesn't have to be this guard in my camp. She can come and express her uh, poetic talents or whatever other, you know, linguistic skills and all that stuff that that she had and not have to go through all these 
shenanigans but but you know memories of ice calor like isn't a good dude right like the pro <laughs> memories of ice prologue calor right like hundreds of thousands of years ago where he's just like burned an entire continent to the ground where it took extreme elder god intervention to try and repair like you know he can become less evil, I think, but people are always like, yeah, Kellar is my boy. And same with Carsa. It's like, but he never becomes like a good dude, though. No, no, of course not. Um, and, and I think that's part of always why I've had such a strong effect, uh, a strong almost aversion to Carsa because of how viscerally those chapters are written in the beginning. Um, but to actually build on this this Shaik point, I actually think it's kind of a big contrast because although this is a follow up to Dead House Gates, I would say, you know, in some ways, Deadhouse Gates, Thelison is maybe the main character. I don't really think there mm. is a main character, but I would say it's like Chain of Dogs, Thelison, and then kind of the Path of Hands plotline, yeah. right? But I feel like people talk about Thelison. I feel like if they talk about Deadhouse Gates, they talk about Thelison or they talk about the Chain of Dogs. Mm. They're the two things people talk about. And I think it's because Thelison takes up a lot of the emotional space and she goes on a very big journey in that book. And she's yeah. very... Mm, I don't know. For some people, she's a challenging character, you know? And I think in the same, when I first read House of Chains, maybe I was disappointed that you don't return to Felicin and she continues to be a primary character, you know? You return to Shaikh, yeah. and Shaikh's a very different type of character in the story. And I don't know. I, I, I actually don't think I, I actually end up feeling like I really like that decision. And I think it's a really interesting choice and a, an interesting way Steve handled the story. I agree with you, and I think it's just part of the 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 kind of empathy and the and what he's trying to show us is that the you know there is a lot of pain and stuff out there, and um you never well, get she's that. become a new person, right? And you never get that happy ending where let me you know buy this and take it for good and get past and whatever, and it's like it it and you see that dichotomy all the way up to that point, right? Like she's got an internal monologue that's totally different than what she's putting out to the rest of the world and then you pick up in house of chains and it's like that part's gone you know it's like one part one side of that you know if you have like the angel and the devil on your shoulder it's like one side has as clearly kind of kind of one and and i think that's a commentary honestly on like all the religious stuff throughout the whole books too you know it's like if you look at the the whole religions and the fact that the the cripple god like really exploits like a lot of the corrupt religions and and figureheads in these in these um, i don't know whatever it is the pantheon of ascendance and and whatnot sure. and and sh this is part of that right like this is a broken one and if you track this back to all the stuff with own rack right and is you know and where the whirlwind comes from it's you know it's the same same kind of deal that we see throughout the whole rest of the series yeah i think I love Toll the Hound, mm. and I think Toll the Hounds has religion on its mind, you know? And I think I would like to ask Steve about his relationship to faith, um, because I would say faith is a part of the books, but I think almost more than faith is a part of the books, talking about the structures of religion and how organized religion affects people's lives is a bigger part of the book than what faith and belief means i don't know it's something i've really been reading for because i think it's it's a uh, i don't know i think about that with a character like hiboric who does feel like a spiritual man who has faith you know yeah. and that's a part of who he is you know so 
Uh, I'm keen to talk to Steve about that one day, but, uh, you know, it. I don't know. It's not the biggest thing in House of Chains, so we had a lot to talk about besides that. So. Yeah, exactly. And then the final thing I maybe wanted to touch on was, you know, I talked about how aggravating it was to talk about Carsa without being able to talk about the big picture. And I had a similar experience talking about Tavor, you know, mm. who we essentially know nothing. The reader knows nothing about her in this book. Or you know? either that or they hate her. Yeah. Right. And like she's a, she's a very removed character. And then, I don't know, we all had kind of fun dunking on her for, uh, I don't know, killing, killing Shai, killing Felicin. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, to, and, and, you know, it's it's difficult because although I hold her fully responsible for sending Felicin into uh, slavery, I don't think that was the right decision, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But I ultimately feel very good about her character, and I'm very I'm very pro Tavor. But it's mm. like hard to talk about it since I don't know we we've only met her in like the I don't know twelve chapters she's in in House of Chains. Do you mean? And yeah, I feel like you learn a lot more about her, and I don't know. I actually feel like you only you really, really get to learn know until more in, yeah yeah more in like Dust of Dreams. You start to get a picture, and then really in the crippled. Do you mean she's a very at distance figure you know 100 yeah and i think he even said that she is the one who's kept the most distant what's interesting to me is like the contrast between her and lacine because they're both like these cold distant kind of icy um you know cold-hearted whatevers and but you know by the end we come around on tabor because even though she did all this stuff to her sister and that never panned out like she did have um you know all this she's like arguably the mo the one who symbolizes the empathy and the compassion of the book uh, the most, right? Because she took all this stuff on, uh, but we don't have that same kind of thing for Lucina, who was like arguably trying to do the same stuff and just, um, she screwed it up, right? And didn't actually achieve and alienated all of her people, but she had a ends justify the means type of argument to what she was thinking to. I think it's very, I think it's it's an interesting contrast you're drawing. I think it's it's a little different because I think Lucina is openly bearing a lot as a leader and as a woman for um, her own ego mm. and her own pursuit of expansion and herself, you know? And I think Tavor as a person is much more, like she is so burdened mm. and she is so weighed down by all these decisions that are are not about her ego. It is about a type of compassionate, redemptive love. And I think that is why she kind of sits at that emotional fulcrum at yeah. the end of the series and kind of slowly more weight gets put onto her throughout the rest of the as you build up to it you know yeah and maybe that's what he's saying right is that you gotta let all that stuff go like you gotta you know that was maybe Lacine's pitfall was that she still um you know she still had herself in the equation as like a critical component of the overall vision versus like that you know being a true kind of ride or die or for the cause or whatever you know what i mean like tavor wasn't even and that's kind of like the whole point of the book if you think about it being a book of the fallen written by kamenzad to honor these unsung you know heroes who who did all all the stuff like that's kind of the whole point was that she did it like knowing that they weren't gonna you know it wasn't for for any of that stuff no it's not and i think that's why I actually find it quite biblical in a way. I think it is a type of um, compassionate, selfless love is what Steve's really trying to write about with Tavor and her willingness to sacrifice ultimately. Yeah, totally. And I think so. honestly, like without going super crazy, 
you know, political, I think it's it's challenging us to, you know, especially if this is supposed to be some kind of a, a meta narrative where someone's reading this book of the fallen and that that someone isn't necessarily someone in the Malazan world going in and picking up Kamenzad's book in the library. It might like actually be us reading about some other world and and challenging us to kind of do that too, you know, to like look at at the the cause quote unquote of our strife, right? Like the crippled God or whatever that is, the the person who's infecting the Warrens, the person who's um, playing all these crazy, you know, games and to not look at them and, and attack them, right? Like everybody else was trying to do in one way or the other, or figure out a way to wall them off or to defend against them or to take them out or to whatever, but like, but to help them, right? But to understand them, but to, um, but to free them. You know, and I think that's uh, without trying to get to here and now, I think that's a powerful thing to be thinking about right now. I agree. And I think that's um, in a lot of ways why the series has always resonated me at the end, because it is a it is like uh, I think it challenges and questions the reader not to I don't know. I don't think it's a book about justice or revenge or these books are about redemptive violence, you know, which I think are a lot of things that happen when you write books about Mm. I don't know, armies clashing. You yeah. Know? I mean, ultimately, the, 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 the ultimate act that comes out of Tavor and this and what it builds up to is an act of love and like an act of meeting your foes and trying to, I don't know, not destroy them, but to, I don't know, understand them and love them, you know, and, and I find it to be, uh, I feel like the books challenges the reader to, to do that. And I think that's uh, ultimately why, I don't know really like the books obviously why else do i have a fucking show about yeah. it but you get the point totally. no it's deep stuff you know and i think it's it's important and then like it's such a different thing like think of the world that we would have if we um looked at the sources of our problems that way instead of um, the way that we do and and i think part of the reason because of course you know this isn't yeah, you know, Steve's books are the only person to tell you this, right? But I think part of the reason I really like this is, I mean, part of, I don't know, like that's a fantasy story, like it's this kind of interesting type of fantasy story. And additionally, you know, th- th- that message about redemptive love and how to treat other people, I think is very powerful, you know, but uh, I was pretty critical of how Steve wrote about sexual violence recently. Mm. And I, I stand by a lot of those criticisms, but I think part of what I appreciate about their inclusion in these books and inclusion in some of the pretty dark elements. I mean, these yeah. books are pretty, get, get pretty fucking grim sometimes. Yeah. Is that like, I don't think Steve is got rose warm glasses on about right. how the world works or how we should treat each other. You know, I think Steve is pretty clear cut that like things are pretty bad a lot of the time, you know, and mm. that people are pretty shitty to each other, you know, but I think because he portrays how dark everything is, this kind of optimistic, loving message that I feel like is actually at the heart of the books I think resonates more with me because I don't think he's playing coy with some of the darker parts of humanity. Yeah, no. And I think that's what makes uh, the hopeful parts like, you know, it's it's uncomfortable, honestly, because I think, you know, we talked about that. And I know this isn't part of this book, but we did the whole, you know, Hattan thing. And we read the essay and talked about that in in the discord and stuff. And like that stuff is terrible and controversial. And like even the most like ride or die, you know, Erickson fans have issues um, with with reading that and with the way that that's portrayed. And like for me, the way, you know, I'm kind of in the camp of like, dude, that's sh- that stuff happens. And like there's terrible, terrible stuff stuff happening um and not 
you know, I think that's what makes the empathy and the and the compassion that people have in the face of that stuff powerful is because like it's a it's a terrible world and it's easy to be cynical and to, and to get angry or whatever. Yeah, I uh, I agree. It's easy to be cynical. And I don't I actually don't know how cynical these books are. I think there's pretty they can be cynical about some things, but I don't think they're cynical about humanity, maybe. I don't know. No, I think he's trying to take a very real look. Honestly, I think he's trying to say like, dude, this stuff, you know, I I, I think he's not putting a judgment on it. You know, I think he's saying like, this stuff is here. What do we do about it? You know, how do we, how do we respond? I love that essay. If you go back and read the dust of dreams um, response about the snake and, and how, you know, the struggles of the refugee train and, and all of that stuff. And just, you know, how people did were like, why are we learning something new? And why are, you know, we focusing on these people who, you know, let's just get on with the kind of conclusion of what happened with the bone hunters and things like that, I think is, is on point because he's asking us to, to, to continue to, to challenge ourselves and to really like hold ourselves accountable. And I think that is a great way, as I open by saying, I think I'm a bit more of a moral scold than Steve is. Great way to loop it around. You know, it was all planned from my poorly thought out opening is I I agree. I think the, the book, the books are often not that judgmental. I do think sometimes Steve has a habit of offering answers or wisdom mm-hmm. or, I don't know, Steve's thoughts. You know, that's definitely Steve-isms. something in the book. Yeah, but... And, and those things always resonate less with me. And I actually always like it more than when we're we're talking about these things. And I think the book is posing questions and pressing you on what do you think? How do you feel about these things? You know, so yeah. and I think the book does that a fair amount. So I think that's all those always resonate with me a good deal. <sighs> but oh, you're going to say anything or are we good? No, I was just going to say it always gets me introspecting and and that's what what I like about it. It's like you can be told a story or you can live the story. And so for me, that's why I keep coming back. That's exactly right. Well, listen, it was it was a great time talking House of Chains. I mean, once again, I, I don't know. I have no memory of what we talked about in the Memories of Ice spoiler cast, so maybe that one was more focused. We were, I would say, quasi-focused. I don't know. We at least got to talk about several things. It's hard to talk about this sometimes. The spoiler cast is fun because we can go wherever we want. That's exactly right. It's free roaming. So I have a quick thing to announce, but first, I wanted to say, uh, email us at 10 Very Big Books, for 10 Very Big Books on Twitter, blah, 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 you know, we're on Discord, blah, 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 leave us a review, tell a friend, you get it, blah, blah. So anyway, so what I was going to say is, this summer we started a Patreon, and it's allowed us to cover some more extra things on the show, and um, those bonus episodes are out there, and then some of them are made public, me and Josh read, beginning of the, all the Gardens of the Moon epigraphs, we've been talking about them, and we're going to start the Dead House Gate ones, I think, in late October, early November, something like that. Um, and um, furthermore, I'm excited me and Iskar here are going to talk through the Esselmont books um, as a series of podcasts. And um, I'm very keen. The two of us are going to hang out, you know, yeah. talk about Esselmont. It'll be a good little time. And we're going to start with Night of Knives in December and then probably proceed through the series about going through one every about two or three months or so. Um, probably closer to three, but you can check and we'll tweet and let people know where we are with it and uh i think our goal for the series what we've been talking about is probably to try and contextualize uh these books in terms of the whole series but then talk about what these books actually mean on their own as their separate thing and and how we feel about them going through them again 
Uh, Eskar has read through all six of them. I've actually only read through the first three, and I'm sure that's something we will discuss on the show, but you can look for that in December. So, thank you so much for coming on again, Iskar. It was a pleasure. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me back. It's always a blast to be able to nerd out on the books, even though House of Chains isn't my favorite. There's some juicy nuggets to talk about, so it was a lot of fun. Plenty of nugs. All right, everybody, it was a good conversation. Uh, Let us know what you think. See ya.